Chapter 6 The Pod Aim Island was the sort of place most people didn't want to know existed. Those who did know found it unsettling or infuriating. Advanced idea mechanics believed in science for the sake of knowledge and damned the consequences. Through the history of the group, they had committed numerous crimes, usually to finance their experiments, and had evolved to keep up with the times. They'd purchased an island, formerly the Republic of Barbuda, modified it to suit their needs, and arranged for formal political status. They became a sovereign nation, and the world dealt with them as they did with other such entities. AIM had developed many new technologies over the years, and most governments were willing to overlook a few transgressions, as long as the advances were shared properly. AIM Island had political clout. So groups like the Avengers, who required certain concessions to be made if they wanted to move freely across the globe, could not trouble them without very good reason. In turn, AIM made sure to keep their illegal operations to a minimum and performed most of those where prying eyes couldn't see. When the energy pulses came from the stars, AIM scientists were quick to respond, without distractions like keeping the world safe and with access to the best technology. They had a distinct advantage. While S.H.I.E.L.D. and other agencies scrambled to keep damage and casualties to a minimum, AIM went on a hunt for anything they might exploit. They found a pod. Minister Superior, the scientist said. He wore the AIM uniform and helmet, which looked a lot like a hazmat suit. We were not expecting— The dark-haired newcomer held up a hand. She wore a skin-tight black uniform with gold details. Status report on the pod, Doctor? She said. Spiked and looking like a vaguely organic obelisk, the pod stood in the center of the chamber. Retrieved from Hulian Mia, Norway, it had an extremely dense exterior layer, and it resisted their best examinations. Until the last hour, there wasn't anything to report at all, ma'am. And now? We're detecting activity, he replied. We tried pretty much everything we could think of. Started with laser scalpels, then it was thermal torches, and we tried partial phasing— all unsuccessful, I assume? Superior replied. So what caused the change? We think it's the result of the signal interference coming from Perth. Something in the pod was moving, however slightly. You suspect a message? The minister asked. Something like that, the anonymous scientist replied. We recorded the signal, and we've been projecting it back to the pod. What? Superior shot him a doubtful look. I got the idea from my wife, he elaborated. You see, we're pregnant, and she does this thing to make the baby kick. She plays music for her, and I thought if the pod reacted to the signal once, crack, the sound echoed off the walls as the alien shape split open. In the next moment, all hell broke loose. Captain Universe, Cap said. We could have used your help here. Shang-Chi gestured to cut him off. If she had heard, however, she gave no indication. How can we help you, mother? The master of Kung Fu asked. Did you see my fuzzy slippers that I accidentally misplaced? She asked. I think someone put them in the trash one winter. I wish I had a winter coat. It's cold out there. And you're not coming. Captain Universe turned and gestured toward Manifold, while still talking to Shang-Chi. Just him, for the trip. Right, Eden said. 
and he didn't look thrilled. You don't have a winter coat either, she said to him. You should get one. Why? It's cold in space. Captain Universe pointed at Manifold, and before he had time even to blink, he was moved to another part of the cosmos. That's what it must feel like for the others, he thought. She was right. It's cold. So, where are we now? He frowned. I can usually tell, but this is... This is different. They stood atop a building that looked to be at least a hundred stories high, one of many in a futuristic cityscape. Most of the buildings seemed at least that tall, and spread across the distance before them. The sky was a deep rust color, though stars could be seen. This wasn't a place on Earth. He'd have felt it. Equally important, it wasn't any place he had traveled before, and he had traveled to a great many places since learning how to move through space. Galador. Captain Universe turned her head a bit and looked his way. This is where it begins. Wow, what begins? In the distance, far above the planet, something moved, too far away for him to identify. The end, she replied. The end begins here. Doesn't seem so bad to me, he commented, his eyes still on the distant object. It moved closer. She sighed. You see it as it is, she said, and not what it will soon be. The shape coalesced into that of a ship. It was a massive thing, several city blocks in length. They come, she added. They? Her words confused him until motion, off to one side, drew his attention away from the Leviathan. Five smaller forms rose from the city, humanoid forms, with eerie red light glinting off gleaming armor. Are they part of the problem? No, she responded. They are knights, the guardians of this place. They will be the first to stand and the first to fall. The ship came closer, dwarfing the buildings. My children, my lost little children, how did you stray so far? When the ship was directly overhead, she turned to him. You should go now, Manifold. This is no place for you. So you brought me here just to see this, didn't you? He replied, and she nodded almost imperceptibly. The others wouldn't trust it coming from me, she said, staring into the distance. They confuse damaged with delusional, but they will listen to you. She paused, then added, Next time, I want you to wear your coat. I'll try to remember that. He said. This is going to be bad, isn't it? Beyond your comprehension, Eden. As he began to glow, she added, Tell the Avengers they have not done enough. The machine is not complete. To protect a world, you must possess the power to destroy a world. She looked over her shoulder at him. Go now. Use words they will understand. They have to get bigger. The last thing he saw was the five figures sheathed in metal, each one unique, though similar enough in design to let him know they shared an origin. 
Then he was gone. Run! The masked scientist screeched. Run! He and the other staff from the AIM lab bolted down the hallway past a group of security personnel, whose armor was fashioned to look much like the scientific uniforms. The leader of the three-man squad was the first to enter the corridor. Lockdown has been initiated, sir. Code black, one of his men said. That means a full island quarantine. Yes, but what's the meaning of this? The squad leader demanded, snagging the fleeing scientist. Explain yourself, doctor. Why have you abandoned your lab? Not worth it! The frantic man babbled. Just not worth it! I suppose not, the squad leader gestured, and one of his men shot the scientist. Coward. He headed down the corridor to whatever had caused the panic. Follow me, gentlemen. Let's see what scared those weak men so badly. Turning the corner, he stopped short. A dark-haired woman in a black-and-gold uniform leaned weakly against the wall. The uniform was tattered. Superior? She should never have brought it here, the woman muttered. What happened? There's a price to pay for it, she said, looking up with unseeing eyes. It heard the call and broke free. Now it's loose. It's moving very quickly, doctor, the shield technician said. We're moving too slowly, Banner replied. Sir, we did as you asked, another tech said. She was seated at a console. Gamed out the trajectory based on the times it slowed down enough to be picked up by satellite. She locked eyes with him, and he saw fear there. You're not going to believe this, she added. It's headed for Perth. Banner went to activate his comm. Captain, are you still there? Sir, the first tech said. We've lost the signal. Well, then get it back, Banner replied. His head was tight with tension, and he began to sweat. Yes, sir, attempting to reconfigure, but we need you to... Yes, I know, I know he said, rubbing the bridge of his nose. Just give me a moment. Workaround did it. We're coming back online, the tech said. Good, Banner said. Keep it together, doctor. Sir? I am not here, he thought. I am standing in a meadow, surrounded by nothing but peaceful. Oh, hell, Banner said aloud. Run! Peter Parker, Spider-Man, looked at the decaying structure that still towered over the city of Perth. He was, at his very core, a man of science and logic. Reality and reason were the things that comforted him, just as surely as his sarcasm was his way of coping when his stress levels got too high, or someone else in a costume was trying to remove his head from his shoulders. Whatever that thing was meant to do, it served its purpose. He spoke the words mostly to himself, but Captain America turned to peer at him. He resisted the urge to cringe. What do you mean? Cap said. Spider-Man shrugged. Whatever that life form was, it existed to serve a purpose, and now it's done. He gestured around. I mean, we beat those things. Okay, Thor beat those things, but they went down because they were done with what they had to do. He shrugged. First rule of life is that it's persistent. It'll fight to survive at any cost. But all of those things, stopping at the same time? Not one of them even twitching anymore? It's done with whatever it was doing. So what was it doing? Now and then, when he felt down about the way his life was going, Peter Parker considered what Captain America had overcome, what he'd accomplished, and felt better about the world around them. Though he would never say so out loud, he admired the super-soldier more than he could easily admit, even to himself. So when Cap asked a question, 
Peter dropped the sarcasm. Honestly? I don't know. I mean, we can guess that it sent a message, but there's no way of knowing where that message went or how long it'll take to get there. Maybe shield sensors can tell us if there was a tachyon stream in that energy burst. If so, the message would get where it's going a lot faster. Cap nodded, and then punched the communication tab on the earpiece buried under his helmet. Dr. Banner? Bruce? Can you or one of your technicians tell me whether or not there was a tachyon radiation in the burst that came from the Perth Tower? They all heard the response through their comms. This is Technician Henright, said an unfamiliar voice. Dr. Banner has gone to Code Green. He's not going to be able to help you. In the background, they could hear the sounds of carnage. That Henright remained calm was a sign of how well-trained he was. Most people would have been justifiably terrified. Drop him, if you can, Cap ordered. Already on it. Got a Hulkbuster team en route. A pause. Then the tech added. Sir, before you lost it, we spotted something big heading your way. Probably responding to the same outgoing call as your recent opponents. How big, Henright? Based on the readings it's giving off, it's on a power level much greater than the things you were dealing with there in Perth. Thanks for the heads up. Do you have an ETA? Spider-Man's head buzzed, and the fine hairs on his body stood on end. He called the sensation his spider sense. It was actually a culmination of all his senses, which had been enhanced in unique ways when a radioactive spider bit him years earlier. He's... he's on top of you now, Henright said. Incoming, Cap, Spider-Man shouted. Whatever it is, it's fast. He didn't bother to turn his head, but he pointed. That was enough for Hyperion. He moved into the air at a speed that would have shamed the average bullet and aimed himself for the thing coming their way. Whatever it was, it was fast. It was metallic, and it slammed into Hyperion with enough force to send out shock waves that shook the piles of rubble, many of which were precariously stacked, and shattered the few windows that had somehow survived the earlier battle. Hyperion was strong enough to face off against Thor, the Hulk, with little effort, and he could fly besides. Now he plowed into the ground and left a trench that stretched for several city blocks. In the process, he tore through cars, trucks, and solid walls, adding to the ruins. The thing that had smashed Hyperion into the pavement lowered itself to the ground with all the speed of a gently settling autumn leaf. Oh, man, Spider-Man said, mostly to himself. This is not good. His spider sense was screaming so loudly it felt as if he had a migraine. Whatever it was, the thing was vaguely humanoid. Two arms, two legs, it had a torso and a narrow waistline, but was decidedly not human. Its shoulders, its forearms, and other parts of its anatomy bulged in an exaggerated fashion, and it was covered from head to foot in plates of an unidentifiable gray metal. The thing was more than ten feet tall. In the center of its head, where there should have been features, was a glowing, solid red faceplate that resembled a cyclopean eye. What the devil is that? Spider-Man asked, crouching at a forty-five-degree angle on a slab of rubble. Something we weren't ready for, Cap replied. Everyone still with us? Up you go, Berto, Cannonball said, helping his teammate rise. You know, we could be at the beach, Sam, Sunspot said. Little drinks, naps... Just be glad we're still breathing, kid, Wolverine growled. Count yourself lucky. 
Locke had no part in this, Thor responded, rising from a crouch. He left us alive for a reason. He's playing with us. He appeared at the armored newcomer. It craves battle. Then we give it what it wants, Captain America replied, as the rest of the team gathered around him. Hyperion joined them. You know the drill, people. Avengers, assemble! With that, he launched himself forward, and the rest followed suit. Components spread outward from their opponent's forearm. The first blast took out Hawkeye and the Black Widow. The energies that came from the creature were concussive in nature, and sent both of them flying back as the force of the blast knocked them unconscious. Spider-Man, Shang-Chi, and Wolverine were next. Before the heroes could even land a blow, another powerful blast struck the ground at their feet, and they were hurled away. Only Spider-Man remained conscious. Cannonball and Sunspot streaked in, only to bounce off an energy sphere that surrounded their target. Their own momentum knocked them out. Avoiding concussive blasts, Captain America actually made it to the enemy, only to be grabbed and hurled into a nearby wall. Then Thor and Hyperion launched an assault from the air. The thing's faceplate glowed bright, then erupted in a blast that rendered them unconscious. The blinding flash was the last thing Spider-Man saw. Spots in his eyes gave way to blackness. Chapter 7 Pursuit AIM Island was on high alert. Weapons were assigned, and some of the most brilliant, if questionably ethical, minds in the world went to work on the problem of retrieving their lost prize. Satellite feeds from around the world, those not affected by the pulse, were hacked for data. AIM was skilled at finding shortcuts and covering their tracks. We should have been better equipped, Superior said. Even if the thing was exponentially stronger than initially believed, she surveyed the damage where the pod had stood. The bodies had been removed. Still, you have to admit, she added, quite a specimen. Hmm. The uniformed man standing next to her responded. And one worth retrieving. As he did, a technician approached quickly and spoke to him. Scientist Supreme, the newcomer said. The tracking system has picked up the entity. It stopped in... in... Perth, sir. Of course it has, the lead scientist replied, going where it believes it is needed, where the signal called it to. Using a handheld device, the technician called up holographic screens that showed the violence taking place in the Australian city. Just look what it has done to these Avengers, Superior said, a hint of glee in her voice. What carnage! What potential! Breathtaking! Indeed. The scientist Supreme agreed, and he turned to a group gathered around a device that boasted four large rings, mounted on end one after the other. Doctors, power up the auger, he said loudly. You're certain this will work? she asked. It has before, the scientist Supreme answered, remembering the screams of the human guinea pig. In a certain manner. Details of that particular test run had been very effectively squelched. The assault team was ready to go within five minutes. If any members of the group had a problem with the idea of being sent thousands of miles in an instant, using highly experimental technology, they never shared their trepidation. It's all right, Superior said, peering up at the huge red eye. I just want to talk. The towering figure, fully armored, didn't respond didn't move, 
The scene to which they had arrived was even more impressive than the images had implied. Thor lay smoldering on the ground, his hammer resting against his hand. Hyperion was bruised and unconscious. She hadn't thought that actually possible. Given different circumstances, this would have been a gold mine of assets. The vivisection of an Asgardian would teach them so very much that was currently pure conjecture. Just to get our hands on Spider-Man for a few hours would yield a wealth of scientific data. Even now, Thor's breathing was changing, and Captain America groaned. They had been defeated, but not killed. Pity. Still, the harvesting team would gather what they could for further study. No sense in wasting a unique opportunity, after all. Above them stood the target of her attention. The thing was magnificent. Organic, yes, but metallic. This was the sort of creation that would change the game, given time, as evidenced by how quickly and easily it had taken out the so-called Earth's mightiest heroes. The thing's head turned, and she assumed it was studying them, assessing their potential as a threat. Beyond that, the thing did not move, and she decided that was a positive. Carefully, she held out a small holographic projector. I want you to see something, Superior said, keeping her voice utterly calm. I would have shown it to you as soon as you emerged, but you left in such a rush. The image that floated in the air showed both the Earth, as seen from a distance, and Mars. Best we can tell, this is what happened to you, she continued. It started on Mars and spread to the Earth. Most people around the world thought it was an attack. She nodded toward the fallen heroes. After looking closely, we determined it was more like an infection, a way to modify our ecosphere, but it was interrupted. She walked closer. The head of the thing tracked her and focused, as near as she could tell, on the image she was projecting. Keeping its attention was important. Around her, the assault team shifted, the men and women moving slowly into position. She switched the hologram to show the pod as they had found it. When you hatched from your cocoon, it was into a world that didn't really want or need you. And now you don't know what to do. Superior continued. We can help you. We can teach you. It'll just take time. And a more conducive... By her calculations, they would have exactly one chance to do this right. If they failed, the Avengers wouldn't be the only ones lying on the ground, though she was convinced that any blasts the thing might let loose would be enough to vaporize ordinary humans like her. That wasn't going to happen. Work environment. The instant she uttered the key words, the first team struck from behind and caught the creature unawares. The sole purpose of the light show was to keep its attention, and happily, it had worked. Their clamps locked under the thing's neck and arm and sent low-amplitude electrical discharges through its body, set to a frequency that mirrored the creature's assaults on the Avengers. The devices had been designed to use on Thor or the Hulk, and modifications had been easy enough. The thing teetered, ready to fall. Team Two did its part and signaled the auger— their prisoner disappeared in a flash, leaving the clamps empty. Did we get him? She said into her calm. We have him, the scientist Supreme responded. Translocation to the island was successful. Tunneling into Transuniversal, also successful. There's little damage you'll be able to inflict there. Superior nodded to herself. Excellent. 
AIM had found a space between dead universes, a nothingness they used as the ultimate storage facility. It also served as the perfect prison for a creature that could level all of the Avengers with ease. However, there's still work to be done, the scientist reminded her, and she bristled a bit at the condescension. Are the harvesters ready? She looked at her team. They're collecting what they need now, she responded. AIM wasn't just made up of testosterone-charged foot soldiers. They weren't Hydra. It was a gathering of inquisitive minds who wanted to understand science in ways no one else could, and to profit from that information. When they're finished, we'll need a redirection on the lure to translocate us back to Amshane. That's what you used to teleport? She spun to face the newcomer. How adorable, Manifold said. It's Eden Fessy, ma'am, one of the techs said. He's their teleporter. His, the man's words were cut off as Manifold's spear pierced his shoulder. I don't know what you're doing to my friends, Fessy said as he sprinted toward them. I don't even know what happened here, but it ends now. One by one, the AIM personnel vanished in flashes of light. It's time for you guys to leave. More flashes. And I don't care where you go. Only Superior remained. No, she said. Get your hands off. Her feet crunched on snow in a dark wasteland. Me, she finished. Damn. Captain America looked up and blinked at the glare above him. The last thing he remembered was being knocked senseless by a new attacker, another threat to the Earth. Now, as he rose to his knees and then his feet, grabbing his shield as he stood, he saw only Manifold. The man looked to him and nodded. I have bad news. How bad? Cap looked around and studied the other Avengers. They were breathing. There was that much, at least. No fatalities was the best news he could have imagined at that moment— very bad. According to Captain Universe, we have much bigger problems than we originally thought. That was exactly the sort of news he didn't want to hear, but some things were simply inevitable. Captain America listened, and then sighed. Much bigger indeed. Act Two. Gauntlets. Chapter Eight. Machinations. They were eternal. By definition, they had always been. That was the belief the Builders held. Since the universe was new, having been created by the Mother, they had been there. Her servants once upon a time. Now they were masters of their own destinies. And of the fate of the multiverse. Not just one universe. All of them. That was the purpose of the Builders, to make certain the multiverse remained pristine and healthy, regardless of the cost. The builders did not age. None of them had ever died. They had been created to guide the multiverse, and they had been created well. The builders were many, and were said to be the oldest race in the universe. There were factions within their ranks. Though they considered themselves one people, the builders fell into two unique groups. The creators and the engineers. The creators seeded the cosmos. Though creatures existed in many places without their machinations, they often stopped and made alterations to what they found, the better to promote life in the way they felt it best suited the needs of the universe. The engineers worked out the designs for the changes. They also created the vessels used to move through the vast void of space and across the multiverse. 
Their creations included the robotic curators, which recorded the changes that were made and the worlds that were touched, making recommendations as necessity demanded to preserve what had been accomplished. Similarly, the creatures known as the caretakers nurtured the worlds modified by the builders, making certain natural events did not undo the important work that had been done. Where necessary, the mechanical Alephs cleansed the worlds of random life-forms that did not satisfy the builders, after which the gardeners replaced what had been removed with new life. Organics the builders would deem satisfactory. The race known as the Abyss judged the success of their work. Each species had a purpose, and together they worked to make the universe better. A signal came to them from a distant spot in the cosmos. It was clear, and they took in the information offered and considered it carefully. Then they made their determination. Something had gone wrong. Repairs would be needed before the changes taking place caused irreparable harm to the universe and the multiverse alike. They would make the repairs as they always did and always had. It was their reason for existing, no matter the cost to the living. They were eternal. Nothing would stop them on their sacred task. Nothing. T'Challa looked at the newcomer and controlled his anger. Even though it was justified, despite his passionate desire to strike the man dead, he did not move. As sure as he was of his country and his abilities, he was also certain this opponent could snap his neck as easily as he would bend a blade of grass. The Black Panther was no longer the king of Wakanda, his sister ruled over his homeland, yet in his heart they were his people, and it was his job to protect them. They stood in the necropolis, the city of the dead. It was a place T'Challa often wandered when he needed to think. Shuri was his sister and the reigning queen, but either she or her advisors had made poor choices. Atlantean leaders had been captured in Wakanda, and they were to be tried for war crimes. Atlantis tried to return the favor by taking the Wakandan ambassador to the United Nations. Instead of a capture, the ambassador and his people were dead. From there, events had spiraled out of control. Namor stood several inches taller than T'Challa. He was dressed in a dark blue scaled vest and blue pants with golden bracers on his arms. His face was all sharp angles and brooding eyes, there had been a time when T'Challa had called Namor an ally, if not a friend. That time was past. That's far enough, Namor, T'Challa said. The submariner came up behind him, the sound of his footsteps revealing the regal grace to which he had been born. You tread in a land where you are most assuredly not welcome. What do you want? Namor paused. To offer you something he replied. To do you a favor. T'Challa did not bother to look. Are you offering to fall on your sword? He asked darkly. If so, you forgot to bring it. Posturing is a bad idea for a dead man. So is playing king when one clearly is not. Namor shook his head. Listen to me, T'Challa. Wakanda cannot possibly win a war with Atlantis. I think you overestimate the strength of Atlantis. He stared at the man now, his eyes locked and showing clearly his repressed fury. 
and any perceived weaknesses of Wakanda. Ah, the fabled technological superiority of the great nation that has never fallen. Namor shook his head. And men call me arrogant, T'Challa. Your problem is not resources, tactics, or even your army. Your problem is the people. How do you suppose? Many do not care for the pretender who keeps Wakanda's throne warm, Namor continued. The queen, your sister, has enemies. These enemies whisper and would like to see her fall. She is the rightful ruler of Wakanda. Namor took a deep breath. How do you think we so easily defeated your elite forces? How do you think we knew they were coming? Enemies from within weaken Wakanda and will continue to do so as long as your sister sits on your throne. The man who wore the mantle of Black Panther looked at the man who made war on the surface world more times than he could count. Would you like to hear my favor now? Namor said. If you would have me deliver a message to my sister, the queen, I can do so. Beyond that, I make no promises. Very well, Namor nodded. Tell your queen I want peace. I will offer favorable terms. All I want in exchange is a cessation of violence between our people. He paused, then added, I will not make the offer a second time. She will refuse you. Then she is a fool, the submariner said, without any trace of irony, and she needs someone to help her make the correct decision. I would refuse you, liar. Regardless of how you feel about me, you know we have better things to be doing than spilling blood, my friend. T'Challa shook his head. We are not friends. That time is gone. You have warred against my people, and I will not forgive that. Your people, T'Challa, not hers. T'Challa found himself nodding and hated the fact. Make your offer through the normal channels, he said. If I choose to back it in the council, it's best if the offer doesn't originate with me. Namor nodded. Very well. He began to walk away. Then he paused. Oh, he said, you're welcome. T'Challa said nothing. He was no longer the king. There was nothing he could say. Some things were simply too large to ignore. For example, the city of Atalan, home to the Inhumans, a race of beings created by the aliens known as the Kree. At the time of their creation, Earth was a small, insignificant backwater of a planet. Atalan had moved several times in recent years. In the early days, it was hidden in the Himalayas, secluded and seldom encountered. For a time, it had rested in the blue area of the moon, home to an enigmatic alien who observed the Earth and its inhabitants. When the Inhumans settled there, he, the Watcher, had paid them remarkably little notice, so immersed was he in his mission. Atalan was hidden no longer. The city hovered in the skies over Manhattan, leaving part of New York in perpetual shadow. There were many who wanted the island moved, but few who could convince the Inhumans it was a good idea. The population of New York itself guaranteed no one would consider attacking Atalan. 
even if they could penetrate its impressive defenses. The Inhumans traced their origins back millions of years, when the Kree visited Earth and experimented on man's primitive ancestors. The Kree hoped the research would help them overcome a genetic crisis faced by their race, and they intended to use the genetically modified Earthers as powerful living weapons. Though the test subjects advanced far beyond the primitives of Earth, the Kree abandoned the experiment. The Inhumans went into hiding and developed a technologically advanced civilization. Among their discoveries were the mutagenic Terrigen crystals, which in turn yielded the Terrigen mist. When subjected to the mist, carefully selected Inhumans developed a wide variety of physical attributes and superhuman abilities. Black Bolt, the king of the Inhumans, was the son of prominent geneticists and had been exposed to Terrigen while still in the womb. The result was the most powerful inhuman, an energy manipulator whose slightest whisper unleashed immeasurable destructive sonic energies. It's for the best, Maximus said to his brother, Black Bolt. You know this, and I know this, but if we are wise, we'll keep the bit of knowledge to ourselves. Maximus was the inhuman's greatest intellect. He was also quite mad. At the behest of his brother, Maximus had bolstered Atalan's defenses, making them virtually impenetrable. As a result, the devastation that had fallen upon the Earth as the signals from Mars came and went did not have any impact on Atalan. I'm spinning the circle, brother, the madman continued. Cogs in an inhuman machine, a Terrigen haze clouding my vision. Maximus the Maker is building something wicked. Wicked indeed. Black Bolt just sat, watching silently. A part of him thought the weapon too extreme. Certainly the device would, for lack of a better way to express it, help even the odds if the humans decided the inhumans were too much of a threat. Best of all, the weapon would cause remarkably little harm to the planet. Humans had their thermonuclear devices, viral weapons, and deadly gases. Black Bolt had Maximus. He wasn't truly sure which weapon was the least humane. Even as he thought it, his brother turned to glare at him. Don't blame me, Maximus protested. This wasn't my idea. It was yours. He grinned. And I'm not going to stop unless you tell me to. Go on. Silence. No? Nothing? Very well. Maximus returned to his work. Let's burn it all down. Titan. Saturn's moon was his home. It was where he was born. It was where he was raised and where he grew to become who he was. It was not the same as it had once been. It had been shattered, beaten and broken, then reformed to suit his needs. In a sense, Titan meant nothing to him. He had no particular affection for the people and no need for them in his world. His mission was more important than any one sphere. His mission was to transform the universe to suit his needs. At different times, he had possessed, however briefly, the power to shape the universe as a whole. He had held the infinity gems, shards of reality left over when the universe was founded, that could, if held by the right person, remake the universe. Gathered together, they offered the power of a god. Thanos had held the power 
of a god. Not of a minor deity, like one of the Asgardians, but the ability to create and recreate and destroy and alter the universe on a whim. Such power was heady stuff. Thanos had followers, a galactic church worth of followers, led by the Kull Obsidian, the Black Order that followed his every instruction and obeyed him without hesitation. His followers looked upon his throne and were humbled, as well they might be. My lord Thanos! Corvus Glaive stood before him, a tall, regal creature with a heavy brow and enough powerful fangs to give children nightmares for generations. He dressed in black and gold, his skin was the color of ash, and his eyes were darker than midnight. Corvus was a loyal follower, devoted to Thanos, and eager to please. I offer you the Alkito, called the World Cleaver. He held a wooden box before him. It contained broken fragments of a sword drenched in red. It is all that remains of the champion of the planet, Alagulo. They have surrendered to you, rather than risk destruction. Of course they have. Thanos placed his hands together and nodded. They aren't fools, merely optimistic. He shrugged. Show me. Glaive gestured and four of his servants ran forward with an even larger chest. In this one were the heads of fifty of the creatures that had once ruled over Al-Agulo. Your tribute, Lord Thanos. Glaive lowered his head in a formal bow. Half a hundred heads. Before, when first Thanos took Titan, it had been hundreds of thousands laid to waste. Millions. These days, the population of the planet was only a few thousand, Still, Thanos smiled. He could end them, but preferred that they live and worship him properly. Excellent work, Corvus. You do me proud. The man swelled with pride and lowered his head again. This one has done you great services, Lord Thanos, and seeks to assist you again. He gestured to an outrider. The creature was a genetic stew, with forearms, an eyeless, horse-like head, and wicked teeth, its other senses serving in place of sight. The outriders were loyal to a fault, and just intelligent enough to serve without hesitation, powerful fighters capable of great stealth and savagery. This creature bowed low, facing the ground, rather than risk being burned by the glory of its god. You would serve me again? Yes, my lord Thanos. It shivered in a near ecstasy of devotion. Oh, yes. Thanos leaned closer and placed a massive hand on the shoulder of the thing. Both of the arms beneath that shoulder relaxed at his touch, its mouth filled with nearly as many fangs as Corvus Glaive's broad maw panted lovingly. There is an infinity stone on the planet Earth. Thanos said. I know this to be true. I need it found. I will not fail you, my lord. It dared much, and all four of the Outrider's oddly shaped hands touched his thick wrist just for a moment before letting him go. Make me proud, Outrider. 
and you may yet earn a name granted by me. That was very close to the offer of heaven in the view of the outriders. To be named by Thanos was an honor few of their kind could ever hope to achieve. I will not fail you, the creature said. I live only to serve you, Lord Thanos. With that, it rose and backed away, bowing several times as it did so. Thanos smiled and rose from his throne. He walked closer to the creature and leaned over it, his mouth nearly touching the side of its head. He whispered another command while the thing shivered at the close proximity of its god. A moment later, the outrider was gone. Thanos looked around at his followers. Prepare my flagship, Corvus, he said. We shall find what I seek on Earth. And in the process, we will make our presence known. Galador was burning. It did not go quietly, however. Unforeseen complications, builders, the caretaker announced. It stood at a vantage point that allowed it to observe the carnage. They all resist, a builder responded from aboard its vessel. As they should, creator, said another. What good is a race that would be any other way? Clarify, caretaker, a third requested. Please define the obstacle. This world, it has heroes. As the caretaker observed, Alephs moved through the flames of the burning cityscape without heeding the screams of the dying. Laser-thin I-beams added to the destruction. Objective, time-sensitive, the foremost Aleph noted. Goal, world cleansing. Alert, energy cascade in proximity, a second Aleph said. Error, compensate its words were cut off as a blinding flash of light consumed them, marking the arrival of five armored beings. The knights of Galador once were men, sacrificing themselves for a greater good. Their fragile bodies had been replaced by cybernetic technologies that transformed them. They became the champion protectors of their world. The invading fleet's command vessel is stationary, a knight with a swirling topknot announced. We finally got their attention. As we should, responded one of her teammates. Emergency upgrades from the Prime Directorate have given each of us the firepower of an entire cavalry. We'll burn out, but Galador will stand. Look, Sano, a young woman exclaimed, peering up at the knights. All the stars in heaven, and none shine as brightly as them. Yes, her brother replied. The Space Knights will save us, Kiro. They've always saved us. This time they will not, Captain Universe said. The softness of her voice belied the certainty in her words. Everything dies, even the things you think cannot. Who are... Sano began. I am the universe, she replied, without even looking back. Here at the start, to see how the end begins. Well, you're wrong. This is not the end. My father's father was a knight. He fought in the Wraith Wars, stood against the Shadow Armies. He, like them, was good and noble, and fought for something greater than himself. His voice cracked. He had to win, because losing meant the end of everything he believed in. They will prevail, Kiro agreed. Because they must. See, they are not just brave and mighty. They are righteous. They are the very best of this world. They are the sons and daughters of Galador. It won't matter. 
Why? Sano said. Why do you seem so sure? Captain Universe looked up, and the two young people followed her gaze. A ship more massive than any that had ever been seen in the skies over Galador appeared from behind the smoke and flames. Because, Captain Universe said, now my children are here. An instant later, a pure white heat engulfed the city, instantly incinerating everyone who was there. The energies moved across the surface of the planet and drove deep within the crust, vaporizing land and oceans and every living thing that existed upon the surface of a world that had endured for centuries. Galador died in a series of growing explosions. Where there had been a planet, there was little left but star stuff and the unconscious forms of the noble souls who had given up their humanity to save their world and ultimately failed. Chapter 9 Outrider It moved through space and dropped to the planet Earth like a spare thought, a whisper. The ship in which it traveled was invisible to the eye and to the limited technologies available on the planet. The Outrider lived only to serve Thanos, and it moved with the careful and meticulous steps of an assassin. It was not here to kill, but to gain information. It would find out exactly what Lord Thanos wanted, and it would do so by following a trail very few creatures in the universe could have detected. The world was larger than the moon called Titan. There were billions of creatures to which to sift in its hunt for the Infinity Stone, and the other prize Thanos sought. Fortunately, the Outrider could sense the residue of the Infinity Stones, where they had been, what had touched them. Through cities and desolate areas, it followed one of the many trails. There were several infinity stones, or there had been, at least, and the strongest trail led to Atalan. Upon reaching the city of the Inhumans, the Outrider left its ship hovering overhead and entered the structure occupied by the king and his retinue. The hunter scrabbled across the walls, avoiding advanced defenses as a ghost moves through walls. It moved past guards who did not see it or smell it or even hear it. Finally, it made its way to the chambers of the King of the Inhumans, where the man called Black Bolt slept in darkness. It dared to perch upon the slumbering form's bed and did not even disturb the sheets. The occupant of that bed did not stir. The King was asleep and his rest was deep. Reaching out, with long, delicate fingers, the intruder eased its insubstantial claws into its prey's head. Now, inhuman king, give me what I seek. All of them. It began sorting through memories of the king's early years, his ascension to the throne, the necessity of moving his people again and again, meeting the woman, Medusa, who became his queen, and for the most part ruled with her husband, a son of prophecy who took five wives to gather all of the castes under his crown. He loves one, hates one, cares little for the rest. How many secrets were held in a lifetime? When a man could not speak, he possessed more than most. The outrider touched memory after memory, looking upon the royal family, 
cousins and family who remained loyal to Black Bolt, regardless of internal strife within the kingdom. Many secrets were sorted, studied, and cast aside. In time, however, it found the answers it sought. Something hidden, a brotherhood. The gems Thanos sought were gone taken by this king and several others. They called themselves the Illuminati and sought to protect and guide the various factions of the world's dominant race. Then, even further back, hidden kings, a lost queen. Get out of my head. The ruler of the Inhumans woke. Impossible. The words were uttered only in Black Bolt's mind. Had he spoken, the Outrider knew. Devastation surely would have followed. Yet still the creature knew terror. And pain. Its hand, held fast within the monarch's mind, was severed in an instant as the king ripped the entire arm free from his body, as if it were the wing on a fly. The Outrider made no sound as the agony tore through it. To make a noise would be a disaster of a different sort, and it would alert others. The Outrider tried to flee. It could not allow itself to be destroyed or captured. It had information Thanos needed, and his master would have that information no matter what the cost. Karnak, the inhuman known as Gorgon said. An assassin! A creature appeared in the corridor, vaguely human, but with three arms and an elongated head possessing too many teeth. Where a fourth arm should have been, only a bloody ruin remained. It seemed vaguely insubstantial, slipping past the two members of the ruling family like a smoking wraith. Though Karnak failed to strike it, Gorgon pounded the stone floor with one of his massive hooves, sending out a powerful shock wave. The intruder became solid and hurtled toward two of the king's guards. Be ready, Kirin, one of them cautioned. I am not afraid, Tolos. Then the creature collided with them, tearing the guts from one and the throat from the other before they could do much more than brace themselves. The delay was enough, however, and Black Bolt appeared. As the thing leapt away from his pursuers, the Inhuman King spoke with the faintest whisper. Stop. The air exploded with a storm of vibrations that crashed into the intruder, shattering its armor, pulping muscles, straining bones to breaking point. The creature screamed, but the sound was lost in the cacophony as the balcony on which it stood was destroyed, pulverized into little more than dust. Blown backward by the force of the sound, it plummeted toward its death. Then it hit what seemed like solid air, and a strange craft appeared. With desperate strength, it reached for the hatch and rolled into the opening with feeble yet frantic effort. Before Black Bolt and his cousins could react, the craft shot past, roaring into full flight and heading for the stars above. Quickly, it dwindled down to a speck, and then a memory. No one spoke. No one needed to. Black Bolt alone could have expressed how vast their troubles were, but he dared not speak. And even if he could have, what could he have said? How vulnerable was a kingdom that had no secrets? His people, he knew, were likely to find out. Chapter 10 The War at Home Every reserve member who could be contacted had been summoned. As they awaited instructions from Captain America, something occurred above the city of New York. Surveillance devices detected unusual activity in Adelon, 
and the departure of a strange vessel, but the Inhumans chose not to share any details. But other, more pressing concerns took shape. Captain Universe appeared on the peak and fell first to her knees and then on her face. A being who held more power than any of them could easily comprehend had been bested, had been beaten down until she lay in a coma. How long? Captain America asked. He, Iron Man and ex-Nilo, had been summoned. The woman lying on the diagnostic bed looked less like a goddess and more like a fragile young human being. The sword medical bay held miracles of technology designed solely for restoring damaged flesh and bone, and all of its wonders worked to do so. But so far, there had been little evidence of success. Captain Universe has been like this since she materialized on the command deck, Commander Abigail Brand said. Ex Nilo, is she? Cap said. Rebuilding. Regenerating. The gardener peered through the protective glass with an expression of awe. Mother will recover. The last time we saw her, she took off, disappeared, jumped to another part of the universe, Cap explained to Brand. Rambling about impending doom? Iron Man added. Those were holy words, Anthony Stark, ex Nilo said. Words to be heeded. Mother knows things. Super. Then I wish she would wake up, Brand said. Because we could use her input on something else I wanted you to see. We intercepted a Cree omnicast from one of their deep space outposts. An open-channel distress signal, Stark said. That's not how they do it. No, it isn't, Brand agreed. On the big monitor, she said to a tech. There were other Avengers waiting in the communications center, including Captain Marvel, Thor, and Hawkeye. More were joining them by the moment. Captain Marvel brought Steve Rogers up to date. We found several nests of aliens on the planet that weren't here a few days ago. They're coming from all over the place, it seems, and doing their best to hide. He nodded as the largest monitor came to life. Though the equipment was technologically advanced, the signal was grainy and interrupted by frequent static. Too late. Blinded. They came from the system core. We didn't see them until they were already on top of us. Splick! Blacked out the sun. An overwhelming force! The speaker disappeared from the monitor as something mechanical struck his head, all but separating it from his shoulders. Another face appeared, and Cap involuntarily looked to ex Nilo. The newcomer was a gardener. Take no pleasure in this. It is simply how things must be. Path is set. If you can see us, choose wisely. Run. There are some of us who would rather you live, and... Looks familiar, don't you think? Cap said to their golden ally. The builders? ex Nilo said, a look of shock on his face. This... this cannot be right. Here's the thing, Brand said. We've been listening in. The outpost has gone silent, but the Cree have not. There's a lot of traffic out there, Cap. You take the uptick of flight from the regional Skrull territories, add to that the location of the not-so-secret Cree base, plot it all out on a map of the known universe, and you get a cone equaling the projected path of that... builder fleet. I cannot believe this, ex Nilo muttered. Earth lies in the dead center of it. Brand continued. 
They're headed right for us. They moved now to where most of the Avengers were gathered, including Spider-Woman, Cannonball, Sunspot, Thor, Hyperion, Shang-Chi, Hawkeye, Falcon, Nightmask, and Black Widow. Abyss was present as well. There were newer Avengers, relative unknowns, like Smasher. Isabel Kane was a human from a farm in Iowa who had joined the Shi'ar Empire's Imperial Guard. She wore alien technology that granted her amazing capabilities, including advanced speed and strength, energy beams, and even the ability to travel in the vacuum of outer space. So what else do we know? Cap asked. Captain Marvel spoke up. We're still gathering information, but in the hours since intercepting the distress signal from the destroyed Kree moon, S.W.O.R.D. has picked up increasing military chatter from, well, from all of the major empires, confederations, and remote areas governed by regional warlords. Basically the entirety of the current Galactic Council. Because we have a member of the Imperial Guard here, we have information that those council worlds are mobilizing. What can you tell us, Smasher? Smasher stepped forward. Gladiator, the Shi'ar Magistor, has issued a priority alert. All superguardians, including me, have been recalled. He's even activating all Imperial subguardians who will be on standby to replace anyone who falls in combat. They'd only do that if they were expecting heavy losses. Captain Marvel spoke again. Whatever is happening, it's headed in our direction. It isn't here yet, it has a ways to go before it gets here, but there's a real chance Earth is at least one of the targets. So there you go, Captain America said. Understand, people. Whatever this is, it's real and it's scary enough to make space empires scramble. He turned to face their new recruit. Ex nihilo. These people, your builders, created you and your sister, Abyss. You know them better than anyone here. What chance would we have if they make it to Earth? Captain, the golden alien responded. The measuring of probabilities is the answer is none. Abyss said, If that fleet reaches this system, the next step in human evolution is extinction. Iron Man nodded. Yeah, that's kind of what we were thinking. His armor was dramatically different. Though he often changed the tech to suit his needs, it had been a long time since Captain America had seen him in a suit designed for the vacuum of space. Then we have no choice, Cap said. We take the fight to them. We stand with the other worlds. Other worlds? Are you sure I should be going with you? The young hero known as Starbrand spoke up hesitantly, softly. I mean, the Starbrand is a planetary defense system meant to protect Earth. Sunspot answered him. They were of a similar age. Relax, it'll be fun. Like Star Wars, only with handsomer protagonists. Tell him, Sam. Cannonball smiled, though he didn't look anywhere near as confident as his friend. Space, he said. So awesome. That prompted a reply from Iron Man. Space, he said. The word should be enough to give any wise person pause. But all of you, everyone assembled in this room, represent the best chance we have of stopping this before it comes here. He was silent for a moment, then added, I wish I could go with you. Sunspot frowned. Wait, what? Captain America answered. Iron Man's job is to stay here and enact certain contingencies on the chance we might fail, including marshalling the Earth's defenses. Our job is to make his unnecessary. We leave in one hour. 